the uh, response has been absolutely overwhelming. It's crazy to think that in one hour of time on Sunday that we will be in 140 homes in the city. The movement is alive, my friends, amen? I had an email uh, just an hour ago from a guy who found us on uh, Google or something, some search engine. And he said, um, he, he was just like, how can I be a part of this? And he is some executive for AT&T or works on something. And he's just like, I've been craving something like this forever. Um, any of you guys scared? I mean, it's you. It's going to be you showing up, knocking on a door and saying, Here, here's a coat and we're not the Savior. Guys, this movement is alive. Over 300 coats, and I need to tell you, I'm so encouraged because 290 of those coats are being supplied by connections that you all have. Absolutely incredible. I'm serious. I'm so encouraged by you. So you come to this place where you're like, okay, this is going to be crazy, you know? I mean, there, there are things that are going to happen, conversations that are going to be had. You all are going to be placed in situations that maybe you've never been placed in before. There are going to be questions asked of you that maybe have never been asked before. Your heart is going to feel a certain way like maybe it never has before. You may see need in a way or a, or a particular kind of venue that you never have before. We need a tremendous amount of God, amen. And the thing that I've been wrestling with, and this is what we'll spend the majority of our time on tonight. I think we train each other very well to say deep theological statements that we really don't believe. Let, let me give you an example. I think in this, one of the things that we've all said, and I've heard all of you say in some way, shape, or form, like this is way bigger than us. And we are going to need God's help. And we do a phenomenal job telling each other that. You see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I've heard so many people and myself say, man, this is, I mean, this is out of control. Uh, the, the, I got an email from the mayor a couple days ago, and she's like, Mark, like, this is going crazy. And I was like, I know. I, I didn't even think that God would already bless it this much, but he has. It's one thing for you and I to look each other in the face and say, oh, we need God. And listen, it's a whole nother thing to ask God for help. I feel like we've done a great job encouraging one another and looking each other in the eye and saying, oh, we need God, oh, we need God. Your need of God is shown in how much time you have spent pleading. You can tell me all you want. I can say all I want. I need God. I need His help. Without His guidance, this whole thing is going to end up being about us. And that is the worst thing that could happen. It's one thing to say that to each other. And it's another thing to be pleading to Him for help. Are you with me, church? If there's one thing that my heart desires for this community, is that we would move from being a church that prays. And I feel like we've done that. We're a church that prays. We pray. We gather and we pray. Sometimes you pray. Sometimes I pray. Sometimes Jeremy or Brandon pray. Sometimes Jason, whatever. Sometimes we pray. But there is a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. 
there's a tremendous difference. And I hope that with all of the things that are happening, friends, we had the biggest Matthias values study ever at Matthias, meet at my home on Monday, the biggest ever. We had nine new folks in Lot families this past Sunday, 14 the week before. God is doing amazing things. But we must be pleading for more of his help and guidance on our face, on our, na- on our knees saying, God, we need more of you. Are you with me? So listen, tonight we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. So go ahead and do that. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to... One of the blessings of Jesus being incarnated or being manifested in the flesh is that he showed us how to live, right? He showed us what it looks like to interact, what it looks like to um, have conversations, what it looks like to worship. One of the greatest things Jesus did is that he showed us how to pray. You guys with me? So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to exegete, look at this passage in the hopes that tonight we can move from a church that prays to a praying church. And I believe, guys, that the movement is alive and that God is going to continue to stir our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, which, um, let's just stop there. Uh, we're going to get a long ways tonight. You know what I'm saying? And, and when you pray, listen, if Jesus ever says that, okay, again, I know I get excited at once in a while, but when Jesus ever says, and when you pray, all of your eyes, your attention, your focus better be in right now in the word, because he's about to teach something very important, a little morsel of loveliness. Are you with me? Yeah. So when you pray, here's what he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Don't want to assume anything. What's a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite comes in many forms, shapes, and sizes. But the hypocrite that Jesus is talking about in this passage is someone who says something, but in their heart doesn't really believe it. Their motive is different. Now, a hypocrite can be someone who says one thing and does another. There's all forms and shapes and sizes of hypocrites. But this this particular type of hypocrite is one who says something, but their heart is different. Look at this. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what would happen as a pious Jew is you would pray at least three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Uh, Do you guys remember Daniel in the lion's den? You remember why he went to the lion's den, right? He was praying, what, three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. A pious Jew, a Jew who is, uh, who is a, a good Jew, prays three times a day. And so what Jesus says is when you pray, don't be like these guys who go out to the corners and the synagogues and they're praying so everyone will hear them. Their relationship with God or lack thereof is about public affirmation, he's saying. So many of you, your entire relationship with God is public. Your whole reason for being here is that others would see you here. Is that others would notice you out of the corner of their eye and say, Oh, 
Look at that person over there. I saw that hand raised, you know. I saw the way they were holding their word. They, they must be super Christians. I mean, they, mu- they must have something that I don't have. In the American culture that we live in, that we exist in, one of the most dangerous things is becoming a group of people that just affirm one another. And ultimately, I show up and teach and respond so that others would come up to me and say, man, you, my friend, you've got something that I don't have. Some of you are so phony. If you would just pause for a second and reflect on your phoniness, how in this room you appear like you're something, but in reality, everywhere else, you're not that. What Jesus is saying is that these guys in the public, they pray, but they're phonies. He's saying, don't be like them. Don't pray like them. Don't pray seeking affirmation. And he says, they, they have the reward. And listen, their reward is worthless. Because their reward is people coming and saying, oh, wow, you, yes, you have something that I don't have. Then he says this. But when you pray, which exclamation points all over it, but when you pray, go into your room. (laughs) This cracks me up because, you know, we're like talking about ancient Palestine here. You know, like in modern day, like, yeah, we have our own rooms, but in ancient Palestine, like, you know, most most of the the people who would live in in a normal Jewish house wouldn't have like their own room, you know? So he, he's... He's being very specific here about where he would desire that they go. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, okay, you, how many of you guys like your room? How many of you guys like the ambiance? You enjoy it. Okay, some of you guys, uh, yeah. What, so what is it, you know, we, we have different things about our rooms that we like. Some of us, probably mostly girls, it's all about the bedspread, you know? You get, you go to Target and you buy the bedspread and then everything has to match the bedspread. You know what I mean? Curtains, bedspread, lamps, bedspread, rugs, bedspread, clothes, bedspread. You know what I mean? So, and, and you guys know this because Target sells it all in a big, you know, you can go in one section and it's like, here's the bedspread and then it's just aisles of fun everywhere, you know? Plates match the bedspread, cups, bedspread, everything, you know? Uh, for some of you guys, it's, it's, for some of you guys, it's all about, especially in high school, it's all about like the sport that you love. You guys remember early, you guys remember early nineties Jordan posters? Okay. M- Michael, have you heard of him? MJ. Yeah. I mean, I had MJ posters everywhere. Like we each have our own little thing. What Jesus says is go to your room, shut your door and pray in secret. And the father who sees in secret will reward you. Can I make a contention with you all? And this is going to seem backward the first time you hear it. My contention is that many of you are hiding in public. Now, again, this seems backwards because you would think, okay, most times when you hide, you would hide in private. Because that's where, like, you, that's where you go and you become a recluse. My contention is that many of you are hiding in public. Listen, you're riding on the coattails 
of your friends, of your church, of your small group, if they are experiencing the power of God, and then somehow by assimilation, you are. You're hiding in public. You come and gather in the public scene, and it's there that you go to the masquerade. You come and gather in a big room like this, and it's there that you're able just to be one in the crowd. And when everyone funnels out, you just kind of scurry behind everyone. Friends, many of you are hiding there. What I'm telling you and what the scripture says is that it's in private that you are exposed. It's in private that there is no hiding. It's in private, my friends, that God sees all. But here's the problem. We're so trained in the public. Stand up, sit down, sing the words on the screen, open the Bible. We become like an army church. Listen. And then when we're alone in our room, there's many of us that have no idea what to do. That's really the blunt of it, isn't it? If I have five minutes of silence in my room, door shut, if I follow this, I got no clue what to do. Okay, so what do I, okay, what do I do now? You've been so trained to be a public Christian that there is no such thing for you as a prayer closet. That concept seems scary. How would I spend time with God for five minutes? Friends, it's time that you and I see this public time as an opportunity for us to gather and express and be encouraged. But it's in the private, in the room, that I believe God is going to stir. Listen, we will see movement when all of us as individuals long for the quiet moments when no one is there. Because listen, in the quiet moments, it doesn't matter how you pray because no one's hearing you except God. Okay, well, what if I, you know, okay, I better frame it in this way. I better hold my hands. No one's looking. There's no affirmation to get except communion with Yahweh. But we escalate this above that. We would rather, in the exposure of our heart, be seen as a good Christian by others than have this deep-rooted sense of communion with God in a closet when no one sees. We would rather have this, many of us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. When you pray, go to your room, and you got to like the, the specificity, shut the door. No one needs to hear. It's you and God. You seeing your relationship with him and you pleading. So for many of you, you're like, okay, that's great. But uh, again, we're back to the same question. Like, so what does that look like? So do I put a CD on, you know, MP3? Do I just put a lamp? You know, do I, you know, pick a better bedspread? Like, what do I do? What do I do? Jesus is going to keep teaching. Look at this. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what he's talking about here is a pagan Gentile. Now, here's what they would do. A pagan Gentile, for instance, even some of the ones we've been studying in First John. They live in Asia Minor. And remember Greek culture? What? Many gods. So what he's talking about here is a pagan Gentile that just repeats. 
over and over. The prayer is the same, over and over. How many of you guys grew up at a home where the mealtime prayer was the same? It was like your dad said mashed potatoes, whether you were having them or not, you know? Dear God, thank you for the mashed potatoes and the green beans. When you were having pizza, he was just so routine, you know? And, and, then, and then you learn that, and so then you go and you're praying for someone who's sick. They're, you're not even eating. You're like, dear God, thank you for the mashed potatoes and the green beans. You're like, what did I just say? You know, it's not even... Listen, we've regimented ourselves. And what Jesus says is don't be like those guys. Don't be just a repeater, a regurgitator. And that is exactly what many of you are. You've heard someone say this word. And so then you just think that prayer is then regurgitating that. There's a book that I would recommend all of you get on Amazon.com. Have you heard of it? Good thing. You can buy books there, okay, among other things now. There's this, there's this book called The Valley of Vision. I have the nice leather-bound edition. This is a collection of Puritan prayers. Now, the reason I bought this is because the Puritans don't talk like us. And if you want to be challenged about rhetoric in your prayer, then sometimes it's good to read some others. May I? <laughs> Bookmark, key for success. Blessed Lord, listen... And you guys can gauge whether or not you've ever said this in a prayer. Blessed Lord, let me climb up near to thee and love and long and plead and wrestle with thee. Listen, and pant for deliverance from the body of sin. For my heart is wandering and lifeless and my soul mourns to think it should ever lose sight of its beloved. Wrap my life in divine love and keep me ever desiring thee, always humble and resigned to thy will, more fixed on thyself, that I may be more fitted for doing and suffering. That's the end of the prayer. That I may be more fit for doing and suffering. How often does that phrase in your prayer life? But you've been trained. You've been regimented. Dear God, here's how I pray. And I even have the posture. Dear God, uh, one, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was I was youth pastoring in a church, my last church, where one of the pastors prayed with his eyes open all the time. Freaks you out at first. You know, he's just like looking at you. Dear God, and you're like, what is going on? You know what I'm saying? Uh, some of you guys know uh, Luke, uh, Luke, or some of you guys know Kimmel, Elizabeth Kimmel, her dad, Pastor Lou. He always says, bless him, Lord, and he always prays with his eyes open. I mean, he just, he'll be just be looking at you. Dear God, thank you. For, and you're just like, what is happening here? You know what I'm saying? But it taught me that it's not the posture, nor is it the rhetoric. It's the desperation of your heart that isn't found in repetition, that isn't found in some cultural Christianity way of praying, that's found in you all by yourself with no one to see, saying, God, I need you. That's the exact prayer that some of you need to pray tonight. The good thing for us is that Jesus is not even close to being done. Do not let them, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So some of you would be like, so what's the point? If He knows what we need before we ask Him, then, uh, Pastor, why pray? Why pray if he already knows what we need? 
the beauty of prayer, and we see this beginning in Genesis, especially with Abraham and all the way through the scriptures, is that we have the opportunity now through Jesus as the high priest to commune with God. And so we pray and plead as we're commanded to in Thessalonians, as we see Jesus teaching his disciples in Luke, so that we may be in communion. So here's what he says. Pray then like this. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Lord's Prayer, how much you don't know. But I know this. For my grandfather's generation, the Lord's Prayer was it, man. I mean, they had, have you seen some of the Jesus posters with the Lord's Prayer on it, you know? Jesus with the wavy hair, you know, he's even got like a little goatee thing and it's the Lord's Prayer is past it, you know, put up there. I mean, for my grandfather's generation, the Lord's Prayer was it. And especially this week, I'm starting to understand why. Pray then like this, which is good for us to look at if Jesus says pray like this. By the way, in Luke, the disciples ask, teach us how to pray. In Matthew, he just commands. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Have you heard this before? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's break it all down. Our Father in heaven. The Greek word for Father is Abba. And what's interesting is in the Old Testament, every time that Father is used, it's a protector. But here, we see something else. Our Father in heaven, Abba. There's a level of intimacy, you see? Our Father in heaven designates God as separate from all of these other gods. Our Father in heaven, Abba, hallowed be your name. That's not a word that comes in our normal vocabulary, does it? Hallowed? You're like, hey, have a hallowed day. You know, good to see you. So nice to meet you. You know, it's not a word that's typically in our rhetoric. Listen to this. The Greek word hallowed is hegeezo, and it means to separate from defiled things. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The prayer is, may your name be separated from the defiled things of this world. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is so great. Look at this. This is Jesus teaching on prayer. And some of you, as we talk about how God is all about his glory, you struggle with that. You're like, well, hold on a second. How can God be all about his glory? How can God be a jealous God about himself and about seeing himself as good? Jesus, when teaching the disciples how to pray, says you start with hallowed be your name. Separate your name from everything else. May your name sit on the throne. May you, above all, be glorified. But some of you sit in your almost non-existent prayer life and your prayers are just consumed with all of your needs. If I were to look at the percentage of your prayer, it would be like, God, help me with this test. You know, God, help me with this victory. God, help me with, God, help me with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name in my life, in this church, on this earth. May your name be separated from defiled things to be seen as holy. Are you with me? I could, right now, I could just say this all night. 
I could stand right now before you and we could just say all night long, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Anyone else? This is not just a statement because it appears like that, doesn't it? No, no, no. This is a prayer. This is a plead. God, in my life, rip the flesh out of me that in my life, your name is more holy and glorious than all of the other defiled things that try to enter in. God, make my life about you and not about my lust. God, may your name be great and not my own. That's the prayer. Amazing. Look at this. He goes on. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Greek word come means erkomai. Listen to this. Erkomai means to take something and to displace it and make it present here. The prayer is, your kingdom come now. Now, Scripture's clear about the kingdom. Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed now. That it, it is here, and yet it's still to come. It's present, but we're still waiting on it. It's a mustard seed, and eventually it'll be this tree, yoga formation. You know what I mean? That's what he says. But here he's saying, pray your kingdom come now. I want to see more of it. We can say all we want. The movement is alive. God, we want to be a part of something uncontrollable. God, we want to see people come to Christ. I hope that of those 140 families, gospel conversations happen. I hope that that these people see our motive as love. And I pray that his kingdom comes. You see? I pray that his kingdom starts moving. And we know, and you'll remember the teaching, his kingdom cannot grow. His kingdom already is everything. It's not like he's building bricks that create more of his kingdom. It already is. But what we're praying for is revelation of it. God, help us see more of it. God, when we plead, would you show us that it can come now and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, show us what your will means. God, show us what it looks like to follow you. God, cause our hearts to be stirred with the word of God that would cause us to desire more of your word. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever been with anyone when they prayed for a car before? Have you ever been with someone like that? I was having coffee one one day with a, a buddy and he was telling me something. He's like, hey dude, I just, there's this car that I saw in a magazine. That's never a good start to the conversation. You know what I'm saying? If that's the way you bought your car, okay, we need to have a little talk about your, about your resources, you know? And so I saw this car in a magazine and he, and this is literally what he said to me. Hey Mark, can you pray that, you know, somehow things just happen and I'm able to score this car? And I'm like, excuse me? Uh, you, you want me to pray that God just hooks you up with this car. Uh, what's interesting today is um, the prosperity gospel that many of you have seen, the Piper prosperity gospel video that we made was tweeted today on Acts 29. And so it's starting to spread again up to 300,000 views, pretty crazy. But the premise of the prosperity gospel is, is that's what you do. You pray for more prosperity and listen, and God provides. And here's what the prosperity gospel teaches. 
If he doesn't provide, then what? Then you lack faith. Then you are too sinful. Then you are... The prosperity gospel doesn't pray and give us today our daily bread. Because that prayer is give me what I need and not what I want. One of the Puritan prayers says, God, I repent of my repentance. I'm so sorry for my lack of repentance, for my lack of heart. Give me not what I, not what I want, but what I need. Give, me, give us today our daily bread. Because I know that man does not live on bread alone, but God provide for me today the things, that will, the things that I need, the things that will sustain me, verse 12, and forgive us our debts. We love this one. This is our favorite. You know, you pray for two things mostly. You pray for forgiveness and you pray against sickness or for sickness. God, my mom's sick. Please help her. Oh, and by the way, please forgive me for my sins. You're really good at that one. You've learned that one well. And I want to point out to you that this isn't a prayer for for daily justification. In other words, this isn't a prayer that somehow you need to keep praying so that God will keep justifying you or saving you, if you will. Back in the 90s, like people would just rededicate their life like every week. There would be some altar call and, you know, Joe got saved for the 80th time this month. You know, it's like, how does that happen? Well, it happens because people believe somehow that the grace of Christ isn't enough. It's not sufficient, that they have to re... No, what this is talking about is the continual repentance. God, you've saved me and I'm thankful for your grace. But God, would you please continue just to cleanse me from all unrighteousness? That I may continue to be sanctified or grow in you. Forgive us our debts preemptive to what he says next. Not so good at this one. As we also have forgiven our debtors. (laughs) So forgive us our debts. And you notice what he does here? As we also, assuming that that it's happened, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Got any folks in your life right now that you would, uh, you would enjoy tackling? Okay. You know? Like in football season right now, you watch the, you know, the Rams. Man, they're doing awesome this year. And you watch them. I mean, let's be honest. My mom could play for the Rams right now. You know what I'm saying? She'd be the linebacker of the Rams right now. You know? Do you ever watch that and you're just like, man, I wish I could just tackle. Listen, one of the most debilitating things in the life of a Christian, in the life of you, is that grudge that you're holding, that judgment that you're looking at, that person that you view still through the lens of, I wish harm on them because of what they've done. What Jesus says is, um, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. His forgiveness isn't dependent on anything but his grace. But the premise is this, is that as he forgives, you also will forgive. A huge part of prayer is coming to the pleading table already having worked out in your personal relationships the things that God would have you. And so when you plead to God the things that he has already mentioned, going through your heart is, oh God, thank you because my relationship is restored with whoever it is that I was angry at. Some of you tonight... You have that person 
that you're wishing harm upon. And when you see them, it gets you excited when you watch them fail. That shows that you have a lack of forgiveness. Forgiveness tastes pretty sweet on your end, doesn't it? Man, thanks for that cross. That was good. Somehow the Savior of the universe can die and be the perfect sacrificial Passover lamb and we struggle because someone said a little tiff about us and, and you never even approach the person and talk to them about it. That's the thing that cracks me up. I hate you. I've never talked to you about it, but, you know, I'm going to talk to everyone else about it. Well, what happened? Well, you know, they, I don't really even know, but I hate them anyway. You need to go to the person tonight. You need to confess that you're struggling and you need to work it out and ask for your, for their forgiveness so that you can move on. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation. Yes. The Garden of Gethsemane. Do you guys remember in Luke chapter 22? Here's what, the, here's what Jesus told the disciples. Pray so that you will not what? Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And lead us not into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 said that there's always a way out. This is a prayer. I know some of you feel so hindered by the temptation that keeps boiling up all around. What the scripture says is we can plead that God would protect us from falling into temptation, from even seeing it. And you know how temptation works. I want to talk to one group of people specifically and then I'll move to another. For those of you in here who are still struggling with pornography, pornography works like this. You have a thought at some point during the day. You see a a female or a male or however it works. And then it just keeps escalating. And the temptation just keeps boiling and boiling and boiling until you find yourself in such a shameful place. And the weight of the world feels like it's on your shoulders. What the scripture says is that we're to plead against the temptation that the string, the chain of events don't happen. Some of you in here who deeply struggle with gossip. You're a gossiper. You know how temptation starts. You're talking to your friend. International sign for phone, right? You're talking to your friend. And and initially you're like, man, I would love to tell them this. And then you're like, oh yeah, so have you heard? And you kind of like beat around the bush. And you hope they ask you about it. Oh, did did, what'd you say? Did you say something about Susie? Oh no. Well, yeah, I kind of, yeah, well, here's the deal. There is always a moment by the grace of Christ, where you can run. And oh, the victory of that moment, because you've known it, haven't you? When by the power of the Spirit, you saw the temptation, it was right before you, and you said, no, by the power of Christ, I turn from the world and go towards the cross. Come on, is there, there is so, there's such amazing power in that victory, isn't there? then why don't we crave more of it? Why do we succumb so easily? I would say largely because you have no prayer life in your closet where you're alone pleading that God would not lead you into... You're not prayed up. It's like we're walking around with nothing protecting us and guiding us and He ends this prayer, but deliver us from evil. For if we forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Tremendous promise. 
But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I look at this Lord's Prayer, and there's a few questions that come from it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be their name. It's this beautiful balance of intimacy, Abba Father, and fear and reverence, hallowed be your name. So God, I'm going to seek you because through Christ, I can have communion and talk with you, but I know that you're not my homeboy. Listen, and you guys have heard me make fun of the hats before. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my best friend. Whatever, you know, there's a lot of worship songs like that make Jesus sound like your girlfriend or something, you know. Like, oh, I love you and just want to, you know, it's weird. But, but, but here's the premise. The premise is that culturally we've wanted to make Jesus just some comfortable being. And not one who's going to come back with a sword sticking out of his mouth. Because that's what Revelation says about Christ. Robe dipped in blood. We can, in our closets, approach the throne of God and not repeat the Lord's Prayer, although it's never bad to do that, but to approach the throne of God and plead that God, that His name would be hallowed, that He would deliver us from evil, that He would forgive us our sins, that He would bring His kingdom now. So for some of you, you're like, okay, so what, what do I do then still? You're still like just waiting on the anecdote where I'm going to, you know, all of a sudden bring up the picture slide. It comes down to, do you believe that those things are true? Do you believe that his name is hallowed? Do you believe his name is greater than any other name? Do you believe that he can deliver you from evil? Do you believe that he can forgive you? Friends, can I ask you, do you believe you need him? We'll be able to say to one another all of our life, oh, we need God, oh, we need God. It will be seen in our prayer lives. And not our prayer when we're here together, but when all of us are alone and we come back together and our heart is a wellspring of life overflowing because of what just happened in our room when no one was watching. Can I ask you a question? Why do we crave the public expressions of God over the private? Do you know where Jesus was in the garden? You know where he was? He was on his face Disciples back there because he had to go and commune. And what does Jesus pray? If there's any other way, take this cup from me, but your will be done. Jesus modeled. And not that he never prayed in public, not that he didn't do that, not that praying in public is bad. But that needs to be an expression of what happens in private. We're going to do a little bit of an experiment right now, which should instantly scare all of you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to stand up, leave your Bible, leave, and I want you to put yourself in a pew or a place in this room where there aren't people around you. Okay, so get up, stand up right now. Put yourself in a place in this room where there aren't people around you. I'm praying 
that God exposes us now. That God will reveal our hearts. That he will teach us in these moments that we've been phonies and that we've been communicating a whole lot of things about our need of God and not even asking him for help. Here in a minute, I'm going to put a question on the screen. And I want you to think long and hard about this question. What it means for you, the implications for you, is no one sits around you right now. And I want you to spend some time reflecting on what God would show you. So put up this question and let's spend some time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Respond with me as you will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Our Father, who art in heaven. Come on, let's say it together. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, your glory is eternal. Your name will be hallowed. And I pray, God, that you'll increase our faith. God, increase our faith, increase our trust. God, that you really are hearing our prayers, that you really can deliver us, that you really can shake us, that you really can become our focus, that your name really is hallowed. God, increase our faith. God, I pray that we can be a church that longs to pray, not for the affirmation of the public, but for the glory of you in our room when no one's looking. God, take our existence Make it yours. And God, we pray that your kingdom will come in St. Charles. That people will come to you. That your grace will be poured out. And salvation will come now.
plan is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.